This is the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, presented by Boingo Wireless, from the Players' Tribune in New York City, with special guest, Oliver Luck, Commissioner of the XFL. The idea of this league is to really appeal to those passionate, diehard football fans, and there's a lot of those passionate, diehard football fans living in the larger markets, right? And many of them, if not most of them, are season ticket holders, and there are 40, 45 million passionate, diehard fans. Those fans have a void. Now, the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, presented by Boingo Wireless. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Uh, I'm Henry Blackman with Bungo Wireless. We're a proud sponsor of this event. And one of the main reasons why is you can see it's an amazing way to get students like you guys face-to-face with some of the most influential names in sports like Oliver Luck, who we have with us here today, uh, which we're so excited about. Uh, but first, really quick, for those of you guys that don't know Boingo, uh, we're a leader in connectivity solutions for uh, entertainment and sports venues. Uh, so what does that mean? Uh, we're powering, powering wireless networks that do a number of things very well, like cellular and Wi-Fi across uh, professional sports stadiums like the Chicago Bears and uh, Atlanta Hawks arenas, uh, also uh, major college stadiums like the University of Louisville, uh, Kansas State, and the University of Houston's Tadeku Stadium, which is also going to be an XFL arena as well. Uh, and we're essentially making sure that your mobile phones and uh, smartphones uh, are going to be... Uh, uh, powered and and connected throughout an event or a game, and you stay connected to the action the entire time, which is so important. We're also powering these venues to be uh, up to speed in this upcoming 5G era, which I'm sure you're reading more and more about. And 5G is going to have so many great benefits for enhancing the fan experience uh, and and also uh, going to have great benefits for operating efficiencies with the venues and teams and also create new revenue opportunities for the venues and teams. So it's important in a number of ways, uh, which are also tied into some hot topics like uh, the Internet of Things or AI, which you might also be hearing more about, which are going to have a great impact on the sports industry as a whole going forward. So we're uh, very excited to hear from Oliver today for uh, a number of those reasons. Basically, uh, he's creating a new sports league, the uh, the XFL. And when you're starting uh, from scratch, building up a, a new league, you have some inherent advantages by incorporating new technologies that enhance the fan experience. And that's what Boingo is all about. So we're excited about this. Before I hand it over, uh, one quick note, because you guys are all students, and uh, beyond this... As you start to think about your careers going forward, uh, just remember that a career in sports can also mean a career in tech, right? Whether it's wireless technologies like we're focusing on, uh, all the emerging new digital media, uh, new publishers like the Players' Tribune, uh, uh, new ad tech, new sponsorship models, which we're also working very hard on, and even influential sports podcasts like this one. Uh, it's, in a very, it's a very exciting time now. Uh, it's also, with all these uh, great new ancillary businesses outside of the teams themselves, uh, it's a great road ahead of us going forward in the sports world. So we're very excited. Uh, with that, I'm also very excited to introduce you guys to Brian Berger, who's the host of Sports Business Radio. How's everyone doing? Thank you for being here. We do these shows uh, a few times a year. Thank you to Boingo for sponsoring the Sports Business Radio Roadshow. I want to thank the students from Montclair State University School of Communication and Media for being in our studio audience today. The students will have the opportunity to ask questions at the end of my interview of Oliver Luck, so have your best questions ready. If you're posting on social media today, use the hashtag SBRXFL. Without further ado, let's welcome the guest of honor, Oliver Luck, the commissioner of the XFL. Give him a hand. 
Oliver, thank you for being here. You're welcome, Brian. It's nice to be here. Hello, everybody. Thank you, Boingo, for your support of uh, not just this, but the, all the shows that take place here. It's awesome to, to be here. So we've got a student audience, uh, and I always like to start our road shows with talking about your experience when you were a college student. You went to West Virginia. When you were sitting in this seat, what was going through your mind about the future? So I probably was like most college students and really didn't have any idea of what I wanted to do with my life. You kind of know what you don't want to do because you watch what your parents do. My dad was a chemical engineer, and I knew I didn't want to be a chemical engineer. (laughs) I was never very good in science. I was a history major. I loved the liberal arts. And I still read, you know, a lot uh, of history. I think it's very important. The past is prologue. Just remember that when you're trying to sort of figure things out. Look backwards to help you look forwards. But I really had no idea what I wanted to do. I had, in a sense, an easy fallback because I was a scholarship football player at West Virginia and had a chance to play in the NFL, which I did for, for five years. And during that time period, I decided I might as well use the off seasons in a productive manner which means no golf. I don't play golf and never really, you know, got into the game. But, you know, I went to law school in the off season, And it was a great combination because I didn't have to immediately go to work as a lawyer because I was able to play five years in the NFL and make a little bit of money and put some in the bank and all that. So I could kind of dabble around. And I ended up ultimately getting involved in the sports business, not necessarily as a lawyer, uh, but as an executive. And the legal training helped me enormously. But I was able to sort of you know, play around a little bit because I had the cushion of, you know, a job, uh, even as a professional athlete, you know, uh, and those careers don't last all that long, as we all know. Uh, but I ended up, I think, in a, in a spot where I've really enjoyed my work in various, you know, sports leagues or teams or other things that I've done, uh, but didn't ever feel sort of constricted or constrained, you know, by sort of the, 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 the business that I was in. Yeah, I mean, you have a really interesting path because back in your day, there was a true off-season where you could do things like go to law school. Now it's so different. I've interviewed uh, Roger Staubach, mm-hmm. and he studied real estate in his off-seasons when he was quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. I'm sure you met people through your playing career, and they probably helped with law school and your, your legal career with those opportunities. Sure. So it, it, it is true. Um, not only that football players at that point could do it, but, but the fact that football was sort of still a sport, even at the professional level, that followed the academic calendar. Hmm. You know, you played in the fall and then you're pretty much done by, you know, by the New Year. So you could start a full spring semester, which I did. I mean, there were guys... Uh, going to law school on my own team along with me. There was a, a guy playing for the New Orleans Saints, Dr. Kovach, who went to medical school and got his medical degree wow. you know, after playing seven or while he was playing seven or eight years with the New Orleans Saints. So there was a number, a significant number of folks that were actually working, you know, in the off season academically or doing some other things. Uh, that's almost unheard of in today's game because it's become, you know, even at the college level, right? It's almost a 20, uh, a 12 month a year kind of a thing, right? It's, it's really difficult, I think, to do something as intense as, you know, getting a graduate degree, law school, medical school, or whatever in the off season. It's very hard now. So for our listening audience, if you're not as familiar with Oliver, you've got one of the most diverse backgrounds of any executive I've ever interviewed. So you played quarterback in the NFL, like you just mentioned. You have been a college AD at West Virginia. You worked in Major League Soccer as an executive. You ran NFL Europe for a decade. 
you've worked as a senior executive at the NCAA, and now you're the commissioner of the XFL. How did all those previous stops help you with where you are now at the XFL? Well, I think they, they all helped, right? So if I think back to the 10 years that I spent in Europe, and we launched NFL Europe over there, so imagine the challenges of trying to sell football, American football, to a European audience, right? I like to joke I was doing missionary work, you know, trying to <laughs> convert right the pagan soccer fans to enjoy this great sport of American football. And those were startups, and we had to deal with, uh, you know, sort of the cultural territory that, that we were in. And, and I learned, you know, a, a thousand things uh, that I'm still applying today. But, you know, I think almost everything that, that you do in life, you know, helps you with your next challenge. When I came back from 10 years in Europe, my wife and I were living over there. We had four kids. Three of them were born over there. So we, we come back. And I realized that I had a lot of experience in management and marketing and, you know, PR and that sort of stuff. But I had zero knowledge of venues hmm. and sort of real estate and how those venues get you know built right so uh, fortunately i was able to to land a job as the executive director ceo of something called the Harris County Houston Sports Authority right which was a governmental entity you know it's always dangerous to work for the government but this was a governmental entity that was tasked with uh, the responsibility of rebuilding or building from scratch you know the new sports and entertainment infrastructure in Houston so the Astrodome was old the old summit, the compact center was old and outdated. Mm-hmm. And you know, so now you have, you know, three, actually four, if you include the soccer venue, you've got uh, Energy Stadium where the Texans and the rodeo uh, do their events. You've got uh, the, the Rockets building. You've got Minute Maid Park for the Astros and then uh, Compass BBVA Stadium for the Dynamo, the, the MLS squad. So I learned all about, you know, public referendums and and how to how to win those public referendums to get support from the public for you know public money being used in these stadiums how to do leases all those sorts of things and that was that was incredibly helpful to me that helped me as the athletic director uh, figure out how to partner with the county that West Virginia University is located in to build a new baseball park, right? So y- y- you pick up things along the way, and, and you typically keep those. You have to sort of sometimes file them away for a decade, but then they come back and, and really help. It's like uh, when I was in school, and there you wonder, am I ever going to use what I'm learning in, in this class? What advice would you give to the students here today as they're contemplating their careers and their choices ahead? Oh, I don't know. Every time I do this, it sounds so cliched. So, um, this is a great country, and you've got all the opportunity in the world, right? And you just have to grasp it, right? So never be apologetic for wanting to be aggressive or wanting to move fast. You know, this is a wide-open country, and experiment, right? You know, play things out. When I, when my wife and I decided to go over to Europe, you know, working for the NFL, I thought, well, gosh, this will be maybe a two-year stint, and then we'll be, you know, back in the U.S. We ended up staying ten years, and, and absolutely loved it. Yeah. Right? And um, you know, so you have to take some risks as well. As well, roll the dice. There's absolutely nothing wrong with sort of rolling the dice. Um, I'm always fascinated by these, you know, futurists that say that you know, 50% of the jobs in 2030 haven't even been. Thought of yet. Thought of, conceptualized. Right. right. So, so, you know, it's really hard to prepare for the future. So don't, you know, don't, don't be shy about sort of rolling the dice sometimes and, and taking a little bit of a 
more non-linear sort of a, a, approach, you know, to life because there's. Uh, I, I think we we live in such a dynamic time that uh, I think there's so many opportunities, but you really sometimes can't see them unless you take a little bit of a non-linear approach to you know getting to that particular spot. And it's really hard to plan a career. You know, I don't know what you think, Brian, but I think it's really hard to plan a career. You know, you're lucky enough to plan sort of what you have for, you know, dinner that evening. <laughs> but, um, you know, don't be shy about trying to be aggressive and, and, and rolling the dice and, and, you know, doing things because this is such a dynamic, fun, free enterprise system that we're all blessed to live in. Before we dig into XFL, I want to ask you about your previous stop, the NCAA. First, you, you got to live in Indianapolis where uh, your son plays quarterback. That must have been kind of nice to be in close proximity to him. I understand you go to most, if not all, of his games. Yes, I'm a groupie. My wife and I are <laughs> Colts groupies, so we travel around the country you know, going to games. I'll be at the game this week, and they got a really good Cowboys team coming to Indy. So yeah, it's fun. Yeah, so I, I like Indianapolis. The NCAA was a, is a fascinating place. Uh, if I could, for a moment, I'll kind of share this. Nobody else does college sports like we do college sports in this country, right? So, you know, there's great universities in Europe and Asia and South America, right? And But nobody does college sports like we do. We're, we're very unique in that. And as sort of a history guy, I think, you know, why is that? And you go back to... You know, the late 1800s and the early 1900s, you go back to the Rutgers-Princeton game in 1869, soon to be 150th anniversary. Uh, Rutgers won that first game. I'm not sure Rutgers has won much much since then. They've really <laughs> struggled. That's a Hopefully shot. Hopefully no one that's from Rutgers, Rutgers listening. <laughs> that's, that's okay coming from an old Big East guy from West Virginia. But, you know... College athletics in this country, think of Ohio State or Michigan or Alabama or, you know, USC, whatever. It's, it's a remarkable institution, but doesn't have any, you know, sort of, um, uh, there, there's, there's no other place that we can look for, 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 you know, sort of guidance of, of how you do this. And it's turned into this humongous industry, you know, that generates billions of dollars and has lots, lots of sort of inequities that, that are built in. Uh, to it, I find it fascinating because we're the only nation that really does it. I like to call it American exceptionalism, and trying to kind of craft rules and regulations about college athletics. What should it be? What shouldn't it be? People can argue uh, until they're blue in the face about amateurism, right? And what what it really means. There's a little anecdote that uh, uh, people will share with you from the NCAA who've been there a long time. One of our previous presidents was Miles Brand. Right. Dr. Miles Brand had been the president of Indiana University. He was a philosophy professor by background, and he became the president of the NCAA for a number of years before he passed away. And, and uh, you know, people would say, Dr. Brand, you know, what do you think amateurism is? And Dr. Brand would sort of put, you know, uh, put on his uh, philosopher's hat and say, well, you know, uh, it is what we want it to be because it's nothing more than the social construct and that's absolutely correct. So what should amateurism be? What What is it? Is it enough to you know, provide a scholarship and all with all its, you know, benefits to a student athlete? You know, are, are they being exploited? Uh, are the different sports different, right? Football and basketball are the revenue sports. Football, men's basketball are revenue sports in the NCAA. And then you've got lots of other sports that really don't generate any revenue. They're, right. they're nothing more than sort of cost items, if you will, on the, you know, on the, on the expense sheet. So it's a fascinating area that I find, I found and still find very sort of intellectually stimulating to try to figure out what the right, you know, pathway is. Mark Emmert was here with us last year at our road show. And 
you know, one of my big takeaways was that is it 1,100 universities that the NCAA represents? Mm-hmm. And my takeaway was trying to find consensus with that many university presidents. Good luck. So I wonder at some point, will the NCAA model under its current version, will it still exist? Because when the NCAA started and a lot of the rules were written, it was several decades ago. The money that is involved uh, today wasn't involved then. Lots of things have changed. And again, you have 1,100 universities who are part of the NCAA. Is it a sustainable model if you were brought in to say, do we need to change this model? What would you say? I think it's a sustainable model. I do think that modifications need to be made, you know, along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that, that, you know, today's economic environment for college athletics is much different than it was back in the 50s or the 60s or the 70s. And that will continue to change, right? Because we live in this, again, this very dynamic world and, you know, college athletics is subject to the same sort of economic pressures that, you know, professional sports uh, are exposed to or subject to. So uh, I, I do think it is sustainable. Uh, I think that, you know, higher ed as an institution is one of our most important <laughs> institutions out there, right? It really distinguishes us, you know, from, from a lot of other nations. Right. Still, I think our biggest sort of export product, we have more, you know, students, at least historically, maybe that's dipped a little bit, you know, given the current political climate, but we've had more students coming to this country looking for, you know, graduate education, undergraduate education than, than I think anywhere else in the world. And that's a big economic driver as well as a big sort of exporter of the American idea and the concepts of, of this country, you know, because I think they're, they're the best in, in the world. So I, I do think it is sustainable, but I think that, uh, you know, modifications need, need to be made. And, you know, in some senses, some, some concession, concessions to uh, athletes who are generating a lot of money. They're generating a lot of revenue. It's just that's, that's the reality of it, and there's no sort of way around that, I think, if you're trying to be intellectually honest about it. Let's talk about XFL. So many people are excited. Our audience was very excited that we were having you this week. Uh, you just announced last week you've got cities in Dallas, Houston, L.A., New York, St. Louis, Seattle, and Tampa, and Washington, D.C. How did you arrive at those markets? So I think it goes back to the rationale uh, of the XFL. So the 30-second elevator speech that I would give you is, hey, Mr. McMahon, if you're talking to Vince, why the XFL, you know, now, 2020, why launch the Spring Football League? And Vince would say that football is at an all-time high in terms of its popularity. The game is being played at a super high level, professional college level. Uh, it's distance itself, you know, as, as being America's favorite sport now by sort of a wide margin, right. you know, compared to the other, you know, traditional sports in this country. And there are 40, 45 million passionate diehard fans. Those fans have a void in their life, you know, come mid-February, right? They Super go into Bowl's, depression. They run into depression, right? right? Super Bowl's over. What do you do, right? They like football. And sure. It's a relatively compact season, right? Rightfully so, because it's, you know, it takes a toll on the, on the bodies of the players. So it's a relatively compact season. So the idea of this league is to really appeal to those passionate diehard football fans. And there's a lot of those passionate diehard football fans living in the larger markets, right? And many of them, if not most of them, are season ticket holders here 
year for the Jets and the Giants or perhaps for, you know, some of the universities, uh, places like Dallas or, or, or Houston. Lots of fans that really do have that void. So we're in those markets because the venues are good, because uh, those markets are, you know, uh, very, you know, fond, if you will, of, of the sport of football. Uh, but I think we're in those markets because there's lots of people. And we think in those larger markets we're going to be uh, in a better position to attract these passionate football fans. They've said to us, you know, through all of the research that we've done, that they want more football. They will consume more football. They will pay for more football, whether that's going to a game live or watching on television. Of course, it has to be good football, and that's right. important, right? Uh, XFL, first time around, 2001. Many of the students here are probably a little bit too young to remember that. Uh, that wasn't good football, let me just tell you. And so it's an uh, obligation that we have, that I have, and, and the team that I'm putting together to really create uh, a good, what I would say, crisp football. Sort of like uh, people say, well, how do you define really good football? And I said sort of like that uh, Former Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart, who famously said when asked to define obscenity, he said, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it, right? <laughs> and most football fans know when they see a good, you know, fun, crisp game that's taking place. It means few penalties, you know, things are moving, guys are catching passes, not dropping them. They're making tackles, not missing them. They're not hitting the upright. They're making the extra point of the field goal, right? Good, crisp football. That's, that's our goal. That's super important for us. That's our number one priority. So you have a 10-week regular season schedule, postseason consisting of two semifinal playoff games, championship game, 45-man active roster. One of the things, I think maybe the biggest thing that has changed from 2001 when you did this before to now, the sophistication of the athlete coming in, the training, the nutrition, this is a higher caliber athlete that you're going to have play in the XFL than the version that we saw in 2001. Do you agree with that? Yes, I do. And I think part of that is a, a tribute to college athletics right. and college football, uh, which I think is at a high watermark in terms of the quality of play. So I, I can you know, share this as a former college player. In, in today's world, we, there are things that exist that just didn't exist in the 70s and 80s. And I think even in the 90s and early, you know, uh, the early part of this century, nutrition experts Strength and conditioning, multiple strength and conditioning, performance experts. Uh, you've got, you know, sports psychologists, mental health experts. Uh, the sport has become a year-round activity. When, when I was playing in the National Football League, linemen would typically come to summer camp which would last about five or six weeks, they might come 20, 30 pounds overweight. Wow. Knowing they would burn it off during the course of five or six weeks. You know, now these guys show up after multiple, you know, OTAs, organized team activities and mini, you know, mini camps and all that. They're, they're in, they're in shape 12 months a year. It's, mm -hmm. it's really remarkable. So the caliber, the quality, you know, of the athlete, I think is, is at an all time high. Think about this. Um, because I think this kind of puts it in, in, into context fairly well. September 1st of this past year, right, the NFL had its big cut down. All the teams cut the players. They can go to a training camp with 90 players and then have to cut down to 53, which is sort of the roster they opened the season with. There were almost 900 football players who lost their jobs wow. that day. That's a lot. That's a lot. Those are, if you follow college football, you'd probably recognize the names of half of those guys mm -hmm. because they were star players in their college team. And then there's a whole bunch of guys you probably never heard of before because they were a defensive tackle or a, you know, tight end at a smaller school that you may not, you may not follow. So, uh, there, 
there are hundreds of players that I think are, are quality players that, that can play in our league and, and, and play very well in our league. And you, you kind of marry that with quality coaches and all the things that you have to do. That gives me a lot of confidence, quite honestly, that we can play crisp football. So a few things. You mentioned, obviously, this is a startup. Uh, the teams are owned by the league. There aren't individual owners. One of the things I've gotten through our sports business radio channels, a lot of question is how much do these players make? Uh, do you have like any kind of a range that you can share? I imagine there will be players on the high end and maybe some players on, on the lower end. Yes. Yeah, so each team will have a salary cap. So they'll have the same resources, right? To stock their team. And at the very top will be what we call our premier player, which is a quarterback. And uh, we'll be paying those folks two fifty, three hundred thousand, and above, right? And then you, it will that'll tear down, right? So the the lowest level player, which is a tier four player in our jargon, uh, that individual will be somewhere in the fifty to sixty thousand dollar range. So keep in mind, this is for as you had mentioned, a ten week right. season, right? With the possibility of week eleven or week twelve based on playoffs, and of course there's preparation time, you know, training camp and all that. So you're effectively looking at probably a five month maybe six month at max sort of a time period you know for that for that player so you have to sort of annualize it in a sense professional athletes historically at least in the football world i can't speak to baseball or basketball or some of the other sports but in the football world you know you get a paycheck every game <laughs> and you kind of live in that cadence and once the off season comes you know then that's the, that's the off season and in our case some guys may have an NFL opportunity. They may uh, have an opportunity in, in, uh, to do other things, to, mm -hmm. to get into coaching or whatever, because our league is in the spring, and the majority of football, of course, is played in the fall. So that opens up some opportunities for those guys, which we think is great. It's a good opportunity for them. <clears throat> I never quite realized this until Jack Swarbrick, who's the athletic director at Notre Dame, right. uh, mentioned this to one time. We were just sort of casually talking, and he said, you know, he said every – college athlete that graduates from school has you know dual degrees and i kind of said what you know he said yeah you know it's in their major history or journalism and it's in their sport <laughs> i mean you've learned enough to literally walk in and probably coach a college or a high school team because right. you've been doing it for you know x number of years and i didn't kind of ever think about it in those terms uh, and so many uh, football players and other athletes, you know, gravitate towards coaching. So this is a great opportunity, I think, to play in the spring and then begin, you know, to create a coaching career in, in the fall for, for a lot of the young men. Vince McMahon is backing this league. He has a tremendous track record of success. He's also someone who's notorious for making a big splash. So another question I've gotten from our listeners Johnny Manziel, Colin Kaepernick, there are some high-profile names that were very successful in college or in their previous NFL life. Should we look for any of those names in the XFL, or uh, is it going to be more of the mid-tier people that uh, we might see on the rosters? Well, I think the you know the, the bulk of the players are going to be mid-tier people that okay. uh, you know certainly have played college football that uh, you know probably have had some experience in the NFL could have been you know a cup of coffee as somebody says or even an espresso very quick <laughs> in and out uh, you know or maybe two three years in the league it, you know there's there's lots of guys that, that you know that have a couple of seasons and may maybe get hurt and get you know get flushed out uh, that's going to be the bulk of the play but we're open literally to, to any player as long as they abide right by our sort of code of conduct and uh, you know like 
and Vincent said this, that, uh, you know, we, we respect our players sort of, you know, political diversity. Our league is going to be completely apolitical and nonpartisan, stay out of all that stuff. You know, but we do expect folks to respect the flag, you know, at the national anthem. Um, we'll have a code of conduct in terms of, of you know, domestic violence. That's going to be a, you know, a, a, a zero tolerance policy that, right. that we'll have, you know, similar to many of the other leagues. You know, the, w- even though we're a football league, I think one of our role models, quite honestly, for how well you know, there seems to how how smooth it, it it goes in terms of you know players and management is the National Basketball Association, mm-hmm. the NBA. Adam Silver, uh, who of course is the commissioner of the NBA, Michelle Roberts, who's the union chief. You know, uh, they they have a great positive working relationship. You don't seem to hear a peep, <laughs> quite honestly. Uh, you know about uh, disagreements that you know players may have with with uh, management. That's that's really, uh, uh, and I think for many folks, that's a, a, a almost a role model to, to see if we can't figure out how to do that. Unlike the NBA, we won't have at least initially a players' union okay. that may develop. Certainly, uh, that that's entirely possible. But uh, that's a you know that's a group the NBA where we can look and really learn some lessons in terms of how to you know to best create a, a very positive, meaningful you know forward-looking progressive relationship between you know your players and and management. We'll return to our conversation after a word from our sponsor. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. Today's sports fans expect strong fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports, led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. Now back to our conversation. So Vince McMahon is backing this, but you do have the muscle, marketing-wise, social media-wise, of the WWE, which has been very, very successful. I think that gives you a huge advantage. Uh, I know we were talking in the green room before, just doing the introductory press conference last week. You kind of saw that at work. Maybe you can discuss the WWE and, and what they add to the XFL. Well, to be very clear, this venture, um, the XFL, is Vince's right. personal venture, right, through a company he founded called Alpha Entertainment. So it's not a WWE offshoot, if you will. Right. right? Nonetheless, we're leaning on, on WWE and their expertise because, as you point out, they do a remarkable job in, in, in marketing and social media and telling the narrative of, of their, you know, their athletes and their, their events. So, uh, you know, I didn't really know much about WWE uh, when I joined the XFL. I, you know, had been to a couple of events in the interim, and, and they're very entertaining and very well put together. And, and as have long they asked as, you to get in the ring yet? No, they haven't asked me. <laughs> and that's a good thing. I'm not sure I would be very adept in I'm the ring. I'm seeing a you in... Uh 
Andrew tag team. Yeah, yeah. I'm guessing that wouldn't be allowed. Uh, but yeah, but it's they're, they're, they clearly have a lot of expertise that they're sharing with us. You know, as as we you know figure out how to build our league. Having said that, of course, you know the professional wrestling is a different beast at the end of the day than a traditional sports league, whether it's right. the NBA or the NFL, et cetera. Executives kind of come back and forth, and there's a lot of folks that I know that uh, you know, I worked with at the NFL years ago who are working for WWE mm-hmm. or have worked for WWE. So, you know, there's lots of sort of cross-pollination, and I think there's a, a number of good ideas. Many of the things that WWE does I think will be helpful to us, including you know, helping us with our broadcast arrangements, and we're not prepared to announce yet what we're doing in terms Come of broadcasting. Come on, don't you but, want to break some news here today? But, nothing, no breaking news, but there's some really powerful broadcasters that we've had some discussions that's with. Great. And I think that when the news does uh, you know, get out about our deals, I think people will be, whoa, that's that's pretty impressive. So, and that's, we, we've been helped by WWE that has, sure. uh, you know, tremendous uh, broadcast appeal, right? They've worked with you know, everybody from from uh, USA Network and NBC and Fox down to ESPN. I mean, they've, they've got all bases covered. So uh, having WWE as a sort of supporter is has been hugely helpful so far. And I think that really will help us as we go into 2020 and, and, and launch our season. So you just talked about broadcast. A lot of leagues now are doing OTT, over-the-top deals. Will that be something that you offer as well? For people like me... I'm a, I'm a streamer, so I, I'm. I went three months ago full streaming. Did you? I'm, yeah, Cut the cord. I, I actually really like it, and I have a 13 year old, and she's watching on her iPad and her mobile device, so it makes a lot of sense for us. But I have found if you're offering content now, you have to offer it over the top as well. Sure. So uh, yes, we will have streaming arrangements, not just for games, but obviously for all the shoulder programming, etc. Sure. And, and and as you probably know, WWE does a really good job of that. They're maybe the best at creating that that narrative and, sure. and, and all the yeah. shoulder programming. Uh, we also, though, have said, and this is a little bit of a maybe throwback moment, right? We've also said that exposure is hugely important for a startup league, right? Mm-hmm. So we're launching. And we think we can deliver a good, fun, entertaining, crisp product. Uh, so you also need people to watch, right? And uh, so the you know the linear product, whether it's broadcast or cable, is also very important to us. You know, there's a little bit of a school of thought, uh, and maybe it's just my age getting in the way. I'm 58 years old, but football is such a fun game. I enjoy watching it on a, on a bigger screen, right? As opposed to, and I've watched a lot of highlights on the smaller screen, you know, and watch have watched soccer and everything else on my, you know, on my smartphone. Uh, but we're also very kind of focused on making sure early on right. that we've got, you know, some easy sort of places for folks to watch, right? Whether it's at the sports bar or at home, et cetera. Streaming opportunities, absolutely. Uh, but we're we're also making a strong effort to have a, a good, very good linear presence. One of the ways that I see that you guys can separate yourself from the NFL, for instance, is some of the broadcast technologies that you utilize, whether it's a helmet cam or behind-the-scenes access, players or coaches being mic'd up. Are those innovations that you're discussing that kind of take the viewer inside the huddle, so to speak? So there's a, a couple of things that we we are focused on, and I guess there's two words that make make uh, you know, make up our our focus and our efforts. One is access, and one is voice. So we want to give fans access to things that heretofore they have not had access to. What's behind that door? What is that coach saying to that player? Wouldn't mm-hmm. it have been cool? 
couple of weeks ago to really have heard what Bill Belichick was saying to Adam Thielen or vice versa. Right. A little exchange yeah. they had. I mean, we can all read lips a little Might bit. Might need so to we, bleep some of that yeah. out. But so access is important, right? right. You know, I, I often get asked, you know, from folks that, that haven't played football, what do people say in the huddle? And if the quarterback calls a play in the huddle, is there ever sort of a, oh my gosh, that's a lousy play. <laughs> Let's not run that. Let's change it, right? Do you have those conversations? Sure. And, and there, there are, you know, often sort of humorous things that are said in, you know, the middle of the battle, right? That, uh, you know, we'd like to share. So we're trying to provide access. That's an important thing. And then we're also trying to figure out how we can provide a louder or stronger voice to our fans. So what does that mean? Well, it could be anything as simple as saying pregame music, halftime shows, let fans vote, crowdsource it in a sense, okay. right? You know, um, what uniforms are being worn? You know, this whole idea of home and away uniforms is like really old school now. Okay. You got color rush and all these different things and you know, you can't tell where a game is being played based on who's wearing the dark or the or the white, you know, the lighter color. So it might be things like that. There's a another football league that we've spoken to called Your Call Football, which actually crowdsources the plays. Fans choose the plays. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And that would be next level. I'm not sure that we'll <laughs> be in a position to – and it's a great idea, and they, 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 they operate it, you know, really very, very, very well, and it, and it works. But I'm not sure we're ready to do that. But maybe maybe there's a, 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 a one-play call, the first play of the game, that fans are able to crowdsource and say, we want Coach to do this, without, of course, telling the opposition. <laughs> so yeah, there's a number of things that we can do. The other big space that we're looking at, as everybody else, is, is all this biometric data. right? So you know, when you put on a football uniform, there's a chip or multiple chips in your helmet, chips in your shoulder pad, there's chips... Uh, you know, in your shoes, uh, probably your knee pads or thigh right. pads or whatever. And it's all collecting data, right? And a lot of that data is very helpful for health and safety issues. Mm-hmm. You know, is your body temperature? Are you not hydrated enough? All that sort of stuff. But there's also, I think, some interest that's growing to figure out, you know, does any of that data, can we create a correlation between that and performance? Right, so if you're, you know, in the fourth quarter and your 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 hydration levels are low, does that mean you may not perform as well? You know, in that critical last series, right? So uh, we're not quite there yet, but we're trying to, along with again many others, figure out, you know, what what can this biometric data, outside of being good for health and safety, right? Uh, what what can this tell us about a player's performance? And that's that's a big space, and that could be kind of interesting going forward. The first version of the XFL, uh, you had nicknames on the back of the uniforms. I think everyone remembers He Hate Me. Wasn't that Rod Smith? Uh, you know, it, it was funny. Yes, He Hate Me was Rod Smart. Rod Smart, okay. Rod Smart. And Rod Smart was actually a very good football player mm-hmm. who ended up playing in a Super Bowl for the Carolina Panthers. Right. And, you know, he goes down in history as He Hate Me. Right. And I'm not sure... Like who he or hate or me was, right. was all about. There was never like a story that went with that. Um, you know, we. I'm, I'm not saying that we'll only have proper surnames on the back of the. Yeah. You know, but uh, we're, we're going to be careful. You know, not to do things that are viewed as gimmicky, right? So right. I think one of the challenges. I'll be very candid. One of the challenges that that XFL 2001 had was there. There were a couple of things that you know the, the viewing public looked at as gimmicky. And I think, like the scrum for instead of a coin well, toss, the scrum. Yeah, instead of the coin toss, it was the scramble with two players literally running, you know, with a, you know, 
head on, right? Yeah, and probably whoever, not great for whoever recovered safety. the ball. Yeah, you know, we had you know, I guess won the coin toss. Yeah, and one guy the first time they did it, one guy got hurt and was out for the rest of the season, which is a bad economic decision, right? Because then you got to you know, workers' comp and all that sort of stuff. So uh, we we, we want to make sure that what we do is not viewed as gimmicky. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean you cannot innovate. And right. do some things that we think are fairly clever and, and will help the game and speed up the game and reduce some of the stoppages uh, and, and all of that. But uh, we want to stay away from, you know, from, from gimmicks. And, uh, you know, whether he hate me or something like that's going to go in the back of the jersey, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But I think we're leaning towards, you know, traditional surnames. Three things that seem to be debated all the time in the NFL, and I heard you guys are kind of focusing on these. One, uh, the kickoff. Is there a kickoff? Is there not a kickoff? NFL's debated, you know, for player safety, maybe there shouldn't be a kickoff. You just start at 20. Two, do you do an extra point? Do you do a two-point conversion? Is there a three- or four-point conversion? Um, what are some of the, the things that you guys are discussing as far as uh, innovations in that sure. realm? And then the third one was, like you said, speed of the game. Right. I mean, our audience here... They want things immediately, instant gratification, and sometimes these games, if it takes, what's the stat I heard with the NFL? If it's a three-hour game, there's like 30 minutes of actual playing time? Actually less than that. Okay. Yeah. Any any game, right? 60-minute, you know, four quarters, right? It probably ends up about, you know, 13 or 14 minutes of actual action, right? So... So a couple of things. We are planning to have a 25 or 30 second clock that, that inevitably, you know, speeds up sure. the game. We'll have a running clock until two minutes left in each half. And we, we took and we'll have fewer timeouts, fewer coaches timeouts. And those timeouts that we have, we're looking at the equivalent of an NBA 30 second timeout that happens, you know, very quickly. Uh, we'll have fewer commercial breaks. For example, if the quarter break takes two and a half minutes, mm-hmm. we can do it in 30 seconds. Hmm. So we think that conditioning will become a little bit more of a factor in our game because guys will have to be in better shape. They'll right. have to run more. They'll have to, you know. It's kind of uh, like running the no-huddle offense the whole game. In a sense, it is. So think of a lot of the colleges that run sort of the no-huddle and, and barely huddle or, or have what, what you know people call sometimes a sugar huddle. And uh, so, and also using technology, right? Using communication from the coach to the quarterback to make sure you can really speed that up, uh, and not turning that that communication off. The NFL turns it off twenty seconds, you know, before the snap, mm-hmm. or, or when the you know the, the play clock hits twenty. We could leave it open, right? And maybe turn it off when the when the ball is snapped. So there's different different things we can do, but we want to have an up tempo, uh, faster game with fewer breaks. This may come as a shock to the students here, but there's a famous sort of cultural moment that just celebrated its 50th anniversary. You might remember it or some of the older folks. And it's called. Are you calling the, me old? Come on, yes, now, I am. Oliver. It's called the Heidi game, right? I in remember. In the it. old days, in the 70s, a football game had to get over in three hours or else the network that was broadcasting it cut away to what was the regularly scheduled programming. There was a great Jets Raiders game. Joe Namath <laughs> playing Daryl Monica. So exciting, right? It goes into, you know, the. Three hours and one minute, the network cut away. Right. And, you know, at a crucial play, nobody knew what happened. This is before the Internet, right? People didn't find out for hours who won the game. (laughs) 
<laughs> and apparently, the, the, I, I, don't, I don't know what network it was. Let's say it was ABC, but you know, the calls came flooding into the switchboard. Something that you don't know. <laughs> yeah, it has no cultural relevance today. <laughs> and, I, you know, and but that was a, a pretty good sort of indication of how important that game was to literally thousands and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people across the country. So one of our ideas is to get this game done uh, under three hours okay. because we think you should be able to play a sporting event you know and have you know high octane high sort of number of plays 80 85 plays per offense and get that done in three hours that that certainly should be doable because it was doable back in the 70s and the 80s until sort of these games began to stretch out and go into three and a half and sometimes even almost four hours so that's one thing we want to do uh, real quick on, on something yeah. else kickoff you would ask about about the kickoff the kickoff return is being uh, phased out as we speak, right? Okay. It's an endangered species. If you watch, you know, the NFL on a Sunday afternoon or, or college football, they're, they're effectively phasing it out. We think, we think we have uh, an alternative to the kickoff, which keeps the kickoff return in the game. It's one of the most exciting plays in football, I think, the kickoff return. Why is it uh, being phased out by the NFL and by the colleges? It's because it's, it's dangerous. It's the most dangerous play because of the speed of the players running down the kickoff cover team running down, and you have these big collisions, right? So we think we've got a solution. I'm not going to share exactly what that is. We actually have tested this solution last week with some junior colleges in Mississippi, guys wearing you know full pads, running 20, 30, 40, 50 of these kickoffs. We filmed it, talked to the players, talked to the coaches, talked to the referees to make sure that we, we our idea is going to work and we're going to continue to test that. But we think there are a couple of things that can be done to change the game, right? The game is, and all sports are very traditional. It's one of the beauties mm-hmm. of, of sport. Uh, but we think there are you know, some spaces where innovation can take place and uh, not just be you know, fun to watch, but also be more safe, right? Safer for the players. And that's, that's important because I don't think any league will get support from the American public that doesn't have, you know, really strict health and safety protocols right. for the players. We know, we know too much now about, you know, brain trauma and potential, you know, chronic traumatic encephalopathy to kind of shrug our shoulders and not pay attention to that. A few more questions before we open it up to the students and our friends from Boingo. So get your questions ready. Uh, I know you're a startup and you have eight teams. We mentioned the cities earlier in the conversation, but I know that you're currently looking for presidents and ER people at these teams. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that because we have listeners who want to work in sports or who do work in sports and might want to change careers. Talk about those opportunities. The uh, franchise level, right, the team level, right. will there'll be basically two sort of really key people there. One will be the head coach, and the head coach will be a head coach slash general manager, kind of like, you know, Al Davis was as head coach of the <laughs> general manager of the Raiders back in the 70s, right? right? So they'll do the personnel work as well, along with their assistant coaches. So that's sort of the football side of each team. And then you'll have a business operations side of, of each team, and that'll be run by a team president. So what we're looking for with those individuals, uh, men and women, uh, ability to sell tickets, to understand the sports business, local sponsorships. You're representing the franchise you know, in that particular community, uh, which means going to every Rotary Club and every Kiwanis Club and every civic group and and selling the team, right? Because it's a it's a it's a sales job. It's a revenue generate generating job. 
Uh, we're in the process of interviewing a whole bunch of folks in those various markets to uh, to take those positions. So you'll have probably about 25 folks on the business side at, at each team level. And then, of course, your your football group, your your co- head coach, your assistant coaches, you know, equipment managers and athletic trainers and uh, you know, those uh, video folks, you know, all, all the sort of support staff for the football team. And on the business side, are those seasonal jobs or are they year-round? Because I know you talked with the players, it's seasonal. Sure. For the, on the business side, they're, they're really full-time jobs. Okay. And, and uh, the, the shameless plug, xfl.com, lots of information about the various jobs that are, that are available. And, you know, we forget sometimes when we talk about sports because we focus on, you know, this or that about the games, et cetera. Uh, Vince is launching a new business. And ultimately, we're going to hire about 500 players, 100 coaches, you know, lots of support staff, right? So it's the great thing about America's sort of entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well in all sectors, not just in tech, you know, but in sports. And uh, so that's kind of a, a really cool thing. In fact, people have asked me, what are you looking forward to the most in, in this job? And I think, you know, it's easy to say, well, I'm looking forward to the kickoff on, you know, game one, you know, the first play. But really what I'm looking forward to is giving young people opportunities, guys that are football players who just want to keep playing football for another couple, three years, or coaches who might be out of work mm-hmm. and would love to get back into work. So that's that gives, I think, all of us a, a lot of motivation to, to, to get our league right because we want to make sure that we can continue to offer those opportunities. Last question I have for you. I'm going to talk to you dad to dad for a minute. You have a pretty remarkable son who plays quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. We mentioned him earlier. He's so well-spoken. He conducts himself so professionally. Obviously, he's a terrific player on the field. He grew up watching you play quarterback in the NFL. What were some of the things that you tried to teach him? When did he come to you and say, you know, I think I might want to play football and did he have an interest in learning from your experiences to mold him into what he is today? Something, um, there was something that, that sort of just happened completely without any intent. So think of the 1990s. We were, my wife and I had moved to Europe in 1990. Andrew was, uh, was born in 1989, so he's one year old. And our three other kids were born over there. And that was the era of video cassettes. And we had moved to Germany. We were living in Frankfurt, Germany. My mother was born and raised in in Germany. I speak the language. She taught us. So, you know, we kind of felt comfortable there, had relatives, et cetera. Uh, But we had lots of, you know, videos for for Andrew as a little baby and then eventually for his uh, siblings. You know, like Barney and all these things that kids watch, you know, when they're one, two, three years old. In that little box of videos was a a video of the Houston Oilers San Diego Chargers game. I was mostly a backup quarterback. I backed up Warren Moon, Hall of Famer, great, great player. But like any backup quarterback, he had a chance to play when Warren was hurt or, you know, playing poorly or whatever. I started the game against Dan Fouts in the Chargers. And the Oilers were not a very good team that season, but we won that game and I had probably my best game. Was that game in San Diego? That was in, in Houston. Okay. It was in the old Astrodome. Anyway, Andrew would watch that tape, mm-hmm. realizing it was, you know, it was an NFL game and his dad was playing. Um, but he, he had this sort of skewed view that I was actually good <laughs> because he only saw this one game where I did perform relatively well. So he like, you know, continues to believe that I was a good quarterback, but in reality I was just a backup, right, along with a lot of other backups and occasionally played well, but occasionally didn't. So um, 
you know, I think somehow that sort of motivated him to be a much more consistent, much better player than I was. So he, he loves playing. He's very competitive. Uh, and I'm, my wife and I are just happy that, you know, he's playing pain-free right yes. after his labrum surgery, which, you know, is, is tough. It was, that, that's hard for any Astro Breeze or you know, any of the guys that have gone through a labrum thing that, that, or a pitcher, right? That's, that's hard. And, uh, you know, he, Andrew's kind of fought back and, and is playing well, so we're, we're happy about that. He's done excellent. You should be very proud. Thank All you. right, we're going to open it up for questions. I'm going to give the mic here. I'm going to have you be the, the crowd mic operator. If you have a question, raise your hand, state your name and your affiliation if you're from... Boingo or from another company or from Montclair State, and then go ahead and ask your question. So I'll give you this to be the crowd mic guy. Since I'm getting it first, do I get to ask the first question? Is that what <laughs> there you mean? go. They taught you well at Montclair State. I like that. <laughs> so my name is Jack. I go, I'm a freshman at Montclair State University, and I was wondering with the XFL starting up, what do you think the ceiling is? Like, Do you hope to one day maybe overtake the NFL as the most popular football league in the country? Or are you just looking at it as an escape from the NFL is in the winter and the fall and we're going to be the league that's in the summer? So we believe that we're a complement to the National Football League. The National Football League is an incredible organization. It's, it's a juggernaut. It's, it's remarkable. Uh, I've got nothing negative to say at all about the NFL. I was delighted to be, you know, have been a player in the league and delighted that my kid can play. And, and I watch NFL football every Sunday, right? So, um, uh, and the NFL will continue to be, you know, the premier professional football league. So when I think about what we would like to accomplish, I think back uh, to the USFL, right, uh, which was a league that, you know, had had a, a number of good things going for it back in the early 80s. I remember uh, when I was a Houston Oiler, the Houston Gamblers were in Houston, obviously, and Jim Kelly was their quarterback, and they were playing good football in the Astrodome with 30,000, 35, 40,000 folks. The mistake was made at that point of moving their season from the spring into the fall. There's a great book called Football for a Buck by Jeff Perlman that that tells all about the USFL. That's a reference to the antitrust suit that they filed against uh, the NFL. They won, and they were awarded damages of one dollar, right? Hence, which was tripled though under antitrust law, right? You get three bucks, right? But it's football for a buck. That's the the, the title. Uh, but my recollection of the USFL was a well sort of organized league, uh, good football games, good quality of play, a fairly high interest level. And had that league stayed in the spring, that would be a valuable sports property today. So there's nothing magical about football in the fall outside of the fact that's been happening for the last 150 years. What if Rutgers and Princeton back in 1869 had played their first game in April? Could football have been a spring sport? Right? You know, it's a fall, we all think it's a fall sport, and we connect it so deeply to the fall and the leaves changing and it's getting colder and, you know, Halloween and then, you know, Thanksgiving, right? But it easily could have been a spring sport, in a sense. Basketball could have been a summer sport. Who knows, right? These are all, I think, somewhat of historical accidents. So we think it's entirely plausible uh, to see a standalone, sustainable spring league, the XFL, uh, that uh, you know offers good football, offers job opportunities for players and coaches, and you know is a good television product, is a good sports property, if you will. That's sort of the vision that we have. Hello, my name is Ben. 
And as an avid sports fan, I like to go to as many games as I possibly can. But the problem is, is that a majority of sports games are very expensive. And for someone who has limited funds at the moment, and it's tough to go to games, will the XFL have reasonable ticket prices and reasonable concession stands and beverages? Uh, yes, we will. Thanks. That's a very good question. So we want to be family friendly. And that doesn't mean just sort of the types of entertainment you get or music or whatever, but also uh, the pricing. So I think most of the fans that will come to, let's say, a game in, in Arlington, Texas, where we're playing, right, which is, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're uh, playing in the Globe Life Park, which is the current building for the uh, Texas Rangers. They're, they're moving out after next baseball season to a brand new building. So I think most of those fans will be probably Cowboys season ticket holders. A second bucket could be folks who love football but just can't afford to go to an NFL game. It's it's expensive. It's it's not it's not cheap. So uh, we think it's you know it's it's absolutely uh, important for us to have a, a a very you know fair ticket system. So we're looking at can we get down to a twenty dollar ticket, right? Uh, very often the concessions are something that we cannot control. That's controlled by the stadium authority, by the, you know, the, the landlord. You know, we're just a tenant in a sense. So I'm not sure I can absolutely guarantee discount, you know, concession prices. So eat before you go to the game. That's my, my <laughs> tip. Uh, but we do think it's important to offer, you know, professional sport, high quality of play, uh, in a stadium uh, where there is what my wife likes to call collective effervescence, right? The beauty of being in 25 or 30,000 people all sort of cheering for the same thing. It's a fun experience. And uh, we realize, I certainly realize that it can be expensive. So we're, we're very focused on making sure we have affordable prices, uh, not just for, you know, young men, but, you know, for families, that, that sort of a thing. I worked for five years in, in MLS. I was the president of the Houston Dynamo, the, the franchise in Houston. And we launched that team. It was a startup. We launched that team, and we're really focused on, you know, um, the the four the family four pack. For forty bucks, you can get four tickets, four sodas, and four popcorns. Right? That's 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 dinner for some folks, <laughs> right? Uh, but that's a great sort of price point to to get people in to come watch soccer. And soccer, you know, is still not at that level that football or baseball or basketball is in this country. But it's certainly growing. Uh, so we're we're very focused on sort of affordable pricing. Hi, I'm Corey Sullivan from Montclair State. Um, about the player pool, you talked about it was going to be like mid-tier players, maybe players got cut, training camp and stuff like that. Um, have you guys discussed about maybe down the line holding like um, a college draft similar to how the NFL does? And have you guys kind of talked about maybe in a way to create your own stars, um, possibly getting players straight out of high school? Or would that be, no, they have to do the same thing, go to uh, college for a certain amount of years? We'll have a couple of drafts, uh, certainly in the, in the first year. Um, the, the bigger of those two being right around that big NFL cutdown in, in early September. You raise a very interesting point, though, which is this. Uh, the XFL is not subject to the NFL's eligibility rules, right? So the NFL, in its collective bargaining agreement, right, what they bargain with the union, uh, they are restricted from taking players who haven't been out of high school for three years, sort of the three-year college rule. You don't have to go to college, but obviously the vast majority of players do, and they continue to play. We're not subject to that. Theoretically, we could take a player out of high school. Uh, I doubt we'll do that. I think the difference physically between a 18-year-old high school player and a 24, 25-year-old former professional football player in the National Football League playing for us is significant, and there could be, you know, could be just a dangerous situation. But I wouldn't rule it out. 
nor would I rule out taking a player who's played a year of college football and let's say, you know, isn't eligible academically, which happens, uh, you know, very often. Or a player who uh, is two years out of, of college is transferring, and of course when you transfer, unless there's one of the exceptions, you have to sit out a year, and a lot of guys don't want to sit out a year. So uh, we are in that position to be able to take players who wouldn't be eligible for the National Football League, and it's something that we'll, we'll take a look at. High school, I tend to doubt it, but every now and then there's a Herschel Walker, there's an Adrian Peterson, uh, you know, guys that were just such, you know, physical freaks in a sense that they were really able, you know, at a very young age, age 18, I think, to play professional football. They were, they were that good. Of course, they, they couldn't. Herschel came out early, you know, with the, with the USFL, if you can go back that far. Uh, but, uh, that's, that's an option that we have. And we're gonna, we're gonna look at that long and hard. There, there are a lot of very good college players, you know, after a year or two who may not want to you know, play that third year of college football, may need to, to earn a little bit of money, right? Support the family. That's that's not uncommon as well. I'm Sean from Montclair State, senior. Uh, as the commissioner, I wanted to know, are you looking for any particular type of relationship with the players, seeing as how you were in their shoes before? What's really interesting is the fact that we don't have a union, at least initially. Right? In traditional sports, it's football, basketball, hockey, soccer, it's all been unionized. And... Uh, so we have a little bit of a different, you know, sort of vibe, if you will, because a union typically will negotiate the terms and conditions of employment, you know, everything outside of sort of the direct salary, but all the other, you know, terms and conditions of employment. So we, we need to uh, establish, you know, I think a deeper relationship with our players than maybe uh, we would have to had we, you know, had a, if, if we had a union. We want to have a, a positive relationship. We want players to, you know, sort of understand the position that they have with the XFL as a startup, right? It may not be quite as sort of smooth and as greased, if you will, as the NFL, which has been around forever and has great facilities, uh, et cetera. We're, you know, we're playing for the first time in many of these venues. Our practice facilities, I think, will be nice, but uh, they may not be as nice as what these young men saw in college, quite honestly. Some of the facilities are incredible. So we want uh, you know, to have a positive relationship to encourage those young guys to get engaged in their community. We'll help them uh, do that. We want to uh, encourage them to continue their education if they're not uh, you know, graduates at that point from, you know, from their university. Uh, we want to encourage them to you know, to be politically active, right? Because I think sport can be a, uh, an engine for, for change and for progress and, and for justice. Uh, so uh, it's going to be a challenge because you've got probably 400 players who, uh, you know, some of those guys want to be engaged. Many don't. Many want to play football and, and then, you know, they're, they're sort of a little bit more private and want to stay to themselves. So at the end of the day, uh, I think it'll be sort of a unique experiment uh, because in most of what we know in this country in terms of the professional sport relationship that a, you know, a, a, a league has with its players is sort of determined by the union. And in our case, it won't be. So that that uh, gives us both a challenge as well as an opportunity. And I think think the 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 opportunity is to really get to know our players, you know, as, as well as we possibly can, to make sure that that we're doing the right thing by them in terms of health and safety. One of our medical, one of our three medical advisors, uh, will be a mental health expert, uh, which is something that I feel very strongly about. There's always been this sort of sense that you know athletes, particularly football players, because they're tough, big guys, right? That you know, tape, tape an aspirin to it, get back out there, you know, get out there and play the game. You're a tough guy. That you that those guys don't suffer at all from any mental illness. Well, 
I think it's well known that you know athletes kind of suffer from mental illnesses at the same rate as everybody else in the population. So we want to have an expert on on, on our staff that can really help those young men that might need a little bit of uh, analysis or a little bit of a little bit of work, you know, from the side. So I think we want to do as much as we possibly can, given that we're that we're a startup, but certainly have a very positive sort of progressive relationship with our players. All right. Um, my name is Evan. I'm um, also from Montclair State. Um, so obviously since this is the second incarnation of the XFL, there is a basis to go off of based on what was offered in the 2001 league. So my question is personally, what is one specific thing that you want to try and implement from the previous incarnation of the XFL and try and build on in the new XFL? That's a really good question. There, there were a couple of things that the 2001 version of the XFL did pretty well that, that now have become standard fare. The Skycam was introduced, you know, in the XFL and now, you know, everybody's using it and it's a great tool. I love the, you know, the, the Madden view right from the back. That's, that's awesome. Another, another thing that was launched, the old uh, XFL was the sideline reporter. And uh, the students here are too young to remember, but that was there was a lot of controversy about that. What a journalist is on the sideline talking to a coach during the game—that's absurd, you know. And now it's very standard fare, you know, pre-game, post-game, and we may even look at that and say, well, you know, should we have our own sideline reporter? You just scored an awesome, you know, touchdown. You ran for seventy-five yards. You know, why not do a quick, you know, ten-second interview or thirty-second interview? Yeah, on the sideline, broadcast to the stadium about you know that experience that that you had. So uh, there there's some you know, so thought processes that uh, were evident, I think, in 2001 that were somewhat you know revolutionary, kind of pushing the the envelope a little bit. And I think we'll we'll try to take that same spirit and try to find a couple of things that hopefully 2040 people will say, oh, they launched that at the uh, at the LXFL back in 2020. That's pretty cool. Now everybody's using it. So should I ask Henry to come up from Boingo? Henry, would you like to? Well, thanks so much, Oliver. Uh, one question from Buengo. This is Henry again. Um, are you able to talk about anything at this point as you look forward to the league's launch about uh, uh, TV rights, uh, streaming rights? How will uh, uh, audiences view uh, games uh, that may not be attending the games themselves? So, yes, we will have a, a, a very comprehensive linear broadcast package, both on broadcast and cable. We'll have streaming as well. Uh, I, I imagine that we'll be using all the sort of popular platforms, not necessarily for our streaming games, but for all the shoulder content, highlights, all that sort of thing. Uh, you know, there's so many ways now to consume content. Uh, one of my favorite places to go is the House of Highlights. I, you know, I, I love that, like, like, like a lot of guys, because you got one little spot where you can just see all the cool things that are happening and, you know, the variety of, of sports. And certainly, uh, you know, as a football guy, particularly in the fall, that's just a, a, a great destination to go to. But uh, we'll have, we'll have a pretty broad, platform i think that'll make it uh, as easy as possible to watch you know to watch not just our games streaming but to watch highlights and, and everything else all right we have several thank yous here first thank you to the montclair state university school of communication and media for being in our studio audience today give yourselves a hand way to go good, good job, job. Thank you to Boingo for powering the Sports Business Radio Road Shows. Without you guys, we couldn't do these. So thank you very much for being here today, Henry, Louise, and, and your group. Thank you very much. Give them a hand. And thank you to Oliver Luck. I'm going to give his Twitter handle a plug, at Oliver Luck XFL. Are you on there tweeting, or are you a tweeter? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> kind of ashamed to say that, but no. But my staff does a great job. 
Because I'm going to be there tomorrow morning, and, and I'm thinking you need to be verified. So we, we might have to have a conversation with uh, Twitter about verifying you. And then last but not least, my good friend Stephanie Rudnick, who set this all up for the XFL. Thank you so much. Let's give Stephanie a hand, because if it wasn't for her, this wouldn't be happening today. You can follow us uh, online at sportsbusinessradio.com, on Twitter at SB Radio, on Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and we're on iTunes. Thank you again for being here today. I want to tell you more about a great company that we've been working with. If you listen to this show, you know we've been working with them for a few months now. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. So other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees on stock trades or anything else. You get to keep all of your profits, Griggs. That's a nice feature here with Robinhood. The two things I love about it is, yes, commission-free, big time, huge, saves you a lot of money, and the ease of using it. It's so easy on the app. You can just go on there, click through, look what you want to get, and then buy it right there. It's great. So President Bush died recently, and I get an email and a notification from Robinhood saying the stock markets are closed. This is the kind of information that they send, whether it's that kind of stuff or here's information on companies that you're invested in. I don't even have to ask for it. It just arrives in my email box or I get it via text notification. It's great. I love all the information around the stocks and the companies that are on there. So it's not just like placing a trade. You're getting great intel all with four taps or so on your phone via the Robinhood app. It's really convenient and easy to use as well. Yeah, just like you said, they're constantly feeding you info, uh, stuff that you either want or don't want, but you're always in the know ahead of big things happening or as things are happening, and then you have the choice to buy, sell, trade, whatever you want to do. It's great. The other thing is there's a lot of people out there that are intimidated by the stock market. This is a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time and to really gain true confidence. So Robinhood is giving our listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at sbradio.robinhood.com. That's sbradio.robinhood.com. I'm telling you, this is a great app for the newcomers, for people who don't like paying $10 for every trade that you make, and for people who want information on the companies they're invested in, Robinhood is the way to go. Again, sign up at sbradio.robinhood.com. That's sbradio.robinhood.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps, and, of course, at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.